When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today I'm discussing the case of Selena Mays. On the morning of December 16, 1996, four-year-old Norielle Mays was sent upstairs to tell her big sister, 12-year-old Selena, that it was time to get up and have breakfast. She did the typical sibling move and just kind of spoke into the air in Selena's room and went back downstairs. But Selena never came down. So Norielle goes back upstairs, and although she was only four, she remembers that when she got closer to maybe give Selena a little nudge, she found pillows under the covers but no Selena. Selena was reported missing, but her disappearance wasn't really treated as a potential crime by her family or local law enforcement. In fact, it took nearly a week for her family to share one of the most crucial pieces of information about Selena. She was pregnant and due in only two weeks. Now it's been over 25 years, and Selena is still missing. But what investigators found about her life leading up to her disappearance paints a dark, sinister picture of what her fate could have been. This is the case of Selena Jeanette Mays. In order to fully understand Selena's story, we need to go way back to the beginning. Selena's mom, Lynn Vitale, met Crisanzo Mays, or CJ as everyone called him, in Miami, Florida in the early 1980s. Lynn had an older son named Robert, but towards the end of 1983, she discovered that she was pregnant with her second child, and CJ was the father, and Selena was born on May 28, 1984. When Selena was just about two, her family moved from Florida to New Jersey. Now, Lynn never married CJ but they were together for the early years of Selena's life. And it wasn't easy. CJ would later tell a reporter that he went to jail a few times, battled addiction, and that there was physical abuse in the home. But it was around this time, around 1986, that he tried to turn his life around. Despite this, his relationship with Lynn still continued to struggle. They ended up separating sometime between 1989 and 1990. Selena stayed with her mom, and really, they were best friends. Then, in 1994, the unthinkable happened. Just five days after Selena's 10th birthday, 
Lynn died of a brain aneurysm. Selena immediately went to go live with some of her mother's friends, but there was a bitter custody battle between Lynn's sister Marilyn and Selena's father CJ. Ultimately, CJ was given custody of Selena, and she went to go live with him in Willingboro, New Jersey. Now, it's safe to say that life for Selena in Willingboro was much different than what she was used to. By this point, CJ had married a woman named Yvette, and together they had two daughters. CJ's family had also joined the Gospel of Christ Church, pastored by CJ's sister, Sarita Smith. But by the time Selena joined, by law, it was no longer an actual church, but a nonprofit organization. Sarita Smith was quite controversial in the religious community. Her church had originally been a branch of the larger Christ Gospel Churches International, which aligns closely to the Pentecostal Christian denomination. In 1991, the larger church organization launched an investigation into Sarita and her church. She ended up losing her minister's license and the ability to use the organization's name and teaching materials. They cited Sarita's poor control over the church's finances and authoritarian style of leadership over the congregation. But that didn't stop Sarita. Despite her losing this status by law as an affiliated church, basically the government can't stop people from gathering, so she ends up buying an old Catholic church and keeps going. It's been reported that her services were between five and six hours long and included shouting, singing, dancing, and speaking in tongues. On a typical Sunday, the congregation would spend nearly all day at church. They attended a morning service, Sunday school, then an evening service. But it was really much more than that. Not only did they all attend these really long services together, most of the congregation of anywhere between 30 and 60 people lived together in only a few different houses, and Selena was a part of that. She lived with her father, two younger sisters, her stepmother Yvette, and Yvette's teenage son from a previous relationship at a single-family home on Crestview Drive. But they weren't the only ones who lived there. Serena owned this house, and although she lived at the rectory next to the church in nearby Mount Holly, four of her five children lived at the Crestview Drive property in Willingboro with Selena. And at any given time, a number of other church members could be placed in the home as well. And basically, everything was done within this community. All the kids who attended Gospel of Christ were homeschooled out of the church, and the adults either worked for the church or took part in fundraising efforts to raise money for the church. CJ was the church bookkeeper, and Yvette the secretary. Women in the church sold Mary Kay cosmetics, and the kids were enlisted to help sell pretzels and other baked goods outside of local supermarkets. Besides the people that they interacted with through these sales and a few other outsiders like doctors, members of the church were often limited in their communication with those who were not church members. Basically, Selena only played with other children in the church, many of whom she was related to, and her hobbies were just church-affiliated activities like singing in the choir. So by December 1996, this had been Selena's life for about two years and Sunday, December 15th, seemed like any other day. Except for one thing. There was no night service. So instead of spending over 10 hours at church that day, Selena spent the evening at home with her family. She reportedly went to bed around 11 p.m. that night, and before she headed upstairs, her family says that she kissed everyone goodnight and told her father and stepmother, quote, thanks for everything, end quote. 
The next morning, the kid slept in a little, which was not typical. But at some point, Yvette sent her four-year-old daughter, Norielle, to wake up Selena. Norielle came back downstairs, and Selena never followed. When she did a second check, Norielle said that Selena was not in her room. Instead, she found pillows under the covers, as if someone tried to make it seem like Selena was still asleep in bed. According to reporting by the Crime Junkie podcast, through an interview with Detective Monica Porkazelski of the Willingboro Township Police, CJ came to the police station in person to report Selena missing. And Donna Dimitri, the police captain of the Willingboro Township at the time, told In Pursuit with John Walsh that she found this odd. She says that in her experience, most people call in these types of reports. Then an officer would typically go to the house. So she tells In Pursuit that that's why an officer was never sent to Crestview Drive, nor did they search the church for Selena. She said, quote, We didn't have that opportunity with Selena since CJ came to the station. End quote. Now, she doesn't really ever clarify why him visiting the station in person prevented any officer from going out there, but she does recall that CJ didn't seem very worried and said that everything was, quote, in God's hands, end quote. It actually took until December 20th, five days after Selena was reported missing, for an officer to visit the home. And it was during that visit that CJ just kind of casually revealed a crucial piece of information. His 12-year-old daughter was nine months pregnant, and he didn't know who the father of the child was. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune and I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials, and with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. One thing I really love about Quince too is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And they only use premium fabrics and finishes, so you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot justice to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com justice. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery especially one with as many twists and turns as June's journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. 
I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. While police weren't suspecting foul play in Selena's disappearance just yet, they were now investigating at least one crime. Because in New Jersey, it's illegal to have sex with anyone under the age of 13, no matter how old the other party is. Basically, Selena got pregnant at 11, which means even if her partner was 11 too, it's still a crime. When officers went out to Selena's home, they really didn't get much further than the door. They say CJ was completely uncooperative and wouldn't let them come in the house because it belonged to Sarita. They did apply for a search warrant, but it was ultimately denied because the judge ruled that there was no evidence a crime had been committed in the home. Unfortunately, records are pretty spotty when it comes to which locations were actually searched for Selena. But according to the recent interview Detective Porgazelski gave to the Crime Junkie podcast, a search of Selena's home was never conducted. Now, despite this, they were able to gather some of her personal belongings. Her purse, perfume, some papers with her handwriting on them, a fabric hair tie with some of her hairs in it, and her prenatal vitamins. Porgazelski also says that they were allowed to do a brief walkthrough of the church at some point, but were never allowed to search the church rectory, because Sarita said Selena never lived there. At this point, investigators are missing a crucial piece of information. Who was the father of Selena's baby? Well, CJ, Yvette, Sarita, and Selena's doctor, Dolores Williams, all say that they didn't know, and that Selena wouldn't tell them. Sarita did theorize to the press that it was a boy Selena met while roller skating in Camden County, but some people found this unrealistic, because Selena wasn't even allowed to play with her neighbors, let alone socialize with kids in another county. Dr. Williams believed that according to what Selena told her, the baby's father was 16 and went to another church. She said Selena smiled when she talked about the boy, and specifically that she did not show any signs of being sexually assaulted. But time was ticking to find Selena. At her last doctor's appointment on Friday, December 13th, Dr. Williams said that Selena was already one centimeter dilated, and that because she was so young, her pelvis wasn't wide enough for her to have a healthy vaginal delivery, so she would most likely have to have a C-section. But despite these very urgent, really life-or-death circumstances, according to one source close to the family, no one was looking for Selena. Besides CJ, Yvette, their children, and Sarita's children, another church member lived at the home on Crestview Drive at the time Selena went missing, 18-year-old Tawana. Now, Tawana was not related to the Mays Smith family, but became involved with Gospel of Christ in her early teen years when her mother was struggling financially. Tawana stopped attending church when her mom moved her and her siblings to an apartment about a half hour away. The apartment was apparently in a pretty bad area, and Tawana was unhappy, so her mom reached out to Sarita for help. Sarita said Tawana was welcome to stay with them, and gradually, Tawana moved in with the Smith and Mays families. Sarita ended up gaining temporary custody of Tawana, who says she did so by lying to the courts saying her mom was battling addiction and an unfit mother. Over time, Tawana and Selena became really close. They would often team up for the church's fundraisers, 
And really, Tawana became like an older sister to Selena. Much of what we know about her life in this house comes from Tawana. She's given interviews to In Pursuit with John Walsh and Crime Junkie. And in both of these interviews, she says she knows who the baby's father is. It was Sarita's son. So, Selena's cousin, Sean Smith. Now, Tawana was the first to find out that Selena was pregnant. She would actually make sure that Selena was taken care of. And one of the ways that she did this was to make sure that Selena always had her feminine hygiene products. In the early months of 1996, Tawana recalls that she kept asking Selena if she needed anything month after month. And Selena kept saying no. One day, Tawana just kind of joked, at least you're not pregnant. Now, she just assumed that Selena's periods were irregular due to her age. But Selena hung her head and told her that she actually thought that she was pregnant. When asked who the father was, Selena said it was her cousin, Sean. And it only gets worse. Despite hearing what most would find to be a very shocking answer, Tawana wasn't surprised. Because she says Sean sexually assaulted and raped her too ever since she became involved with the church. Sean was 23 in December 1996. He was married and had one child with his wife, but he lived in the Crestview Drive home with Selena and Tawana while his wife and child lived at the church rectory with Sarita. He was also the father of two other children with two different mothers in the church. In her interview with Crime Junkie, Tawana shared a story that shortly after she began staying with the family, Sean told her that they could be boyfriend and girlfriend, but had to keep it a secret. Eventually, she says he started coming into her room at night and raping her. She says she never told anyone, because she knew if she did, Sarita would shame her for it instead of her son. Tawana told In Pursuit with John Walsh, quote, Sarita was big on being a virgin. If you were involved in any sexual acts and they found out, you would be considered a whore, end quote. Sean's abuse of Tawana continued over the years, and she says it was still going on around the time that he began abusing Selena. She also says Sean paid for her to have an abortion earlier that same year that Selena became pregnant. Now, he was able to do this in secret because Tawana wasn't homeschooled by the church. She went to public school. So basically, he used her schooling as a way to get her away from his family to have the procedure done. Now, when Tawana was 17, she began dating Enrique, Yvette's son who was about her same age. The church did approve of this relationship, and everyone in their little community knew about it and supported them. She says that Sean always threatened to tell Enrique that they had sex, and that she had harbored shame, knowing that if she told the truth, no one would be on her side. Now, of course, having sex, those are Sean's words, not mine. Because for the record, to be very clear, I've said this a thousand times, but you cannot have sex with a minor. It is sexual abuse. It is rape. But Tawana says that Selena told her a similar story about Sean's abuse. Apparently, Sean worked in the music industry at the time. It seems that despite everybody being forced to work in the church, this rule didn't really apply to Sarita's children. So they were kind of off doing whatever they wanted, but Selena wanted an autographed picture of a band or an artist that Sean had a connection to. Tawana says that Selena told her that one night he came into her room, took her to the attic, and he told her that if she still wanted that autograph, she would have to have sex with him. 
She also says he assured Selena that them having sex didn't mean that they weren't cousins anymore. Selena confided in Tawana that Sean also tried to help her get an abortion, but couldn't find a time to do it, because unlike Tawana, Selena was basically never away from the family or the church. And Sean's abuse of Tawana didn't end after he coordinated her abortion, or gotten his 12-year-old cousin pregnant. Shortly after Selena confided in Tawana about her pregnancy, Tawana feared that she may be pregnant again by Sean. So one day she snuck out and tried to shoplift a pregnancy test from a local store. Tawana didn't have any money of her own, so this was really her only option to find out if she was pregnant or not. But she got caught. And instead of calling the police, they called the church to come get her. At this point, Tawana runs. She didn't want Sarita's wrath or her judgment, and she ended up falling asleep behind a local school. A custodian later found her and called the police. When Tawana returned to Crestview Drive, she and Selena were both taken to the hospital and given pregnancy tests. She says that they were both checked in under fake names. Selena's test, of course, was positive, but Tawana's was negative. Now, Tawana says that none of this was really a secret within the church. Selena told everyone that Sean was the baby's father, but Sean denied it. She says Sean did stop abusing Selena when word got around that she was pregnant, but he got his own wife and another young woman from the church pregnant around this time as well. This episode of Voices for Justice is sponsored by ZocDoc. If you guys have been following my journey on social media, you know that I am in my Sarah era. After everything I've been through over the last couple years, I'm really just focusing on myself and doing that unapologetically. So I have become that one friend in my friend group that loves to treat myself. A lot of the time that looks like a long bath, a face mask, maybe a special foot soak, but I also knew that I needed to make my health a priority. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. What I really liked is that all the doctors have verified reviews from actual real patients. You don't have to just guess if they're good. ZocDoc is how I found my new doctor. Go to ZocDoc.com justice and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's zocdoc.com slash justice. Zocdoc.com slash justice. In July of 1996, Selena began seeing Dr. Dolores Williams. Reports say that she hid her pregnancy for about five months. Both Serena and Yvette told the media that Selena wanted to get an abortion, but was not allowed to due to their religious beliefs. Sarita says that over time, Selena began to accept that she would be a mom, and Tawana agrees. She says that by the time Selena's due date was approaching, she was really excited about being a mom. But Tawana also says that Sarita was anything but supportive. As Selena's body continued to change through her pregnancy, Sarita wouldn't let her get any new clothes. By the time she went missing, she was down to only two outfits that fit her. Selena, of course, wanted to have a baby shower, but despite all this pushing for her to keep the baby, Sarita apparently told her that this was nothing to celebrate. Despite this, Tawana got away. She went and bought Selena a diaper bag and a few baby clothes from Goodwill, and Selena loved them, but had to hide them in her room so no one would see. 
Selena's sister, Norielle, told Impursue that she remembered how Sarita would reprimand those she felt had sinned. She said, quote, We had a staircase. My auntie Sarita would sit at the top of that staircase, and whoever was in trouble had to come to the bottom of that staircase and be what we called rebuked. It was her rage, her anger, and she could unleash it upon anyone. End quote. Of course, at this point, law enforcement is trying to separate fact from rumor in this community. Police conducted interviews with residents of the home and members of the church, trying to piece together the paternity of Selena's child, hoping maybe that was the key to finding her. They were able to rule out CJ as the father. He'd apparently gotten a vasectomy and was able to show that paperwork. But still, unfortunately, police just weren't treating this as a potential crime. It wasn't being investigated as a potential kidnapping or homicide despite Selena's age. It seems that police truly thought that Selena had walked off or willingly left with someone, presumably the child's father. But CJ told the police that Selena didn't indicate that she wanted to leave. He reminded them that she expressed gratitude towards them for helping her. But once the media got involved, CJ's story started to change. It really wasn't until January 4th, 1997, nearly three weeks after Selena was last seen, and days after her due date, that the police and CJ went to the public to ask for help in finding her. This is also when Selena's family on her mother's side found out what was going on. They said that they had no idea Selena was even pregnant, let alone missing. From this point forward, the back and forth between CJ's family and Lynn's family reignited publicity in the media, and Gospel of Christ was under more scrutiny than ever. So what was CJ telling the media now? Well, in an Associated Press article published on January 6th, CJ says he thinks Selena ran away out of fear. He told them, quote, I want to let Selena know that her dad is concerned, and whatever it is you want, we'll support you, end quote. In another interview, Yvette would say that maybe Selena thanking them before going to bed that night was her way of saying goodbye. While CJ's side of the family was staying calm, cool, and collected, Lynn's side of the family, who lived in Michigan and Florida, say that they remain hopeful, but they're not sure that she's alive. They say that they tried multiple times to reach out to CJ, and he never let them talk to Selena. Now they're appalled at what they're hearing about her life in New Jersey since her mom's death. When they talk to the media, they make it known that she and her child are welcome to come stay with them, and say that if or when she's found, they're happy to take CJ back to court for custody. Selena's aunt, Cindy Cram, told the Associated Press, quote, If she's alive, she needs to know that her mother's family wants her and her baby. No questions asked, end quote. She's also very upfront about her feelings. She says she's scared that Selena is not alive and that the church, quote, did away with her, end quote. And slowly but surely throughout all these interviews, the truth of Selena's life was kind of unfolding. Lynn's sister Marilyn told the Courier Post that CJ was cruel, and she was afraid that he was hiding something. Cram shared that CJ had beaten her sister multiple times, and that Lynn had to seek counsel at the Providence House in Willingboro, a shelter for victims of domestic violence. Lynn's sisters say that when Lynn was still alive, she was scared of Sarita's church, saying it was more like a cult. 
Selena's older brother Robert said that he repeatedly tried to reach out to Selena over the last two and a half years, but her father wouldn't let them speak. He says that over those years, he only got Selena on the phone once, and the whole time CJ was in the background telling her to hang up. He says that he told her to press a button if she was unhappy there, and was heartbroken when he heard a beep. And really, this battle between two sides just continues to ensue in the media. CJ went to the local news and said that Lynn's family was maybe harboring Selena. He said that they were racist, saying they never liked him because he was black and Lynn was white. He admits that his life was not going well when he was with Lynn and that he was abusive, but he also says that he helped Lynn recover from substance use disorder and accuses her of keeping Selena from him after their separation because he was behind on child support. He says he's a changed man since joining Gospel of Christ and publicly defends his church against anyone who criticizes it and compares it to a cult. But at this point, more people are coming forward, and those cult accusations were not rare. Many former church members spoke to the press, and they said they thought it was impossible that Sarita didn't know who the father of Selena's child was. They said that she knew everything that went on in her church members' lives. One former member told the Courier Post, quote, I think it's possible that CJ doesn't know. He's just as brainwashed as everyone else. But there's no doubt in my mind that Sarita knows. She controls everything in that house. She's not a violent person. I can't picture her doing anyone physical harm. But she has a way of putting fear in you, telling you that her way is the way of God. And if you don't follow, you'll be punished. End quote. Now, despite all these rising tensions between both sides of Selena's family, they were united on one thing. They were frustrated with how the police were handling this. The police, however, say that they just don't have much to go on. Because Selena was so isolated, they couldn't really interview teachers, neighbors, or friends. Really, no one outside of the church knew Selena. And everyone they were interviewing that was a part of the church said that they wouldn't even suspect who the father was, and everyone denied knowing where Selena was. Of course, police interview Sean Smith. This happens on January 10th, and he tells them he doesn't know where Selena is, and he's not the father of her baby. When asked to take a polygraph, he says he'll get back to them about that, then leaves and never comes back. When they reach out again, Sarita had hired a lawyer for him. Police also speak to Tawana, but at this time, she was terrified of Sarita. So when they ask if Sean's the father of Selena's baby, she tells them no. And of course, Sarita really becomes like the star of this show in the media. She was telling them and her congregation exactly what she thought about Selena going missing. Journalist Richard Pearsall, who covered this case extensively for the Courier Post, sat in on one of Sarita's church services. And he reports that she told the church that her niece was a liar and deceived the family and church repeatedly by not revealing the child's father and by running away. She said that the Bible tells you to cry out rape or molestation, and Selena did no such thing. She says Selena chose to engage in sinful sexual acts, which led to her pregnancy. She said, quote, 12 years old is but a number. Some 12-year-olds make you think that they're 18 years old. And I knew she was up to something. This is an evil and perverse generation. End quote. Just absolutely disgusting statements. 
Pearsall also interviewed Dr. Williams, who in less brazen terms basically said the same thing. She said Selena was, quote, wise beyond her years, more resourceful than people give her credit for, end quote. Williams theorizes that since Selena was taken from living with her mother to living in a strictly religious community, that these changes in lifestyle were just too stark for her, and she rebelled as a way to figure out who she was in the middle of these two extremes. She said that she didn't believe Selena was being abused because she was comfortable being examined, while other girls her age who had been abused were not. She also says that Selena was taking being pregnant in stride. When discussing the baby's father, Dr. Williams said, quote, she's protecting him. She's afraid he'll be prosecuted, end quote. She also added that she didn't think Selena's family had anything to do with it because they asked for a paternity test, and to her, that didn't seem like something a guilty party would do. Now, I think it's very important to note that while Dr. Williams was not a member of the church, she was Sarita's obstetrician and gynecologist. Dr. Williams' husband also reportedly knew Sarita, so obviously she was not any type of outsider to this situation, and was likely being influenced by Sarita and her teachings as well. In fact, Selena was basically seeing Dr. Williams under the table. All of her appointments were paid for in cash, and the office did not keep medical records for her. But let's go back to Tawana who seems like a much more reliable source. Tawana says that Sarita coached Selena on what to tell the doctor, and that she crafted the story about the 16-year-old boy as a cover-up. Now, she actually says that CJ believed his daughter that it was Sean's baby, and once the baby was born, they'd get that test to prove that it was Sean's. After that, they would leave the church and go to Florida. Tawana says that she was supposed to go with two and help take care of the baby. But, of course, none of these plans ever came to be, and she says it was like he forgot when Selena went missing. Basically, everything Sarita and CJ told the media were lies. On January 24th, police got what, at first, seemed like their biggest lead yet. A restaurant owner in nearby Howell, New Jersey, says that he's sure Selena came into his restaurant. He said that she was with a group of people and didn't appear to be pregnant but he couldn't tell for sure because she was wearing baggy clothes. He said the group even had this photographer taking pictures of their dinner. While police are trying to confirm this, word got around that Selena was alive and well. The Associated Press even reported it. In an interview, Cindy Cram said, quote, We're absolutely thrilled Selena's alive, end quote. But this was still being investigated. One of the men believed to be with Selena came back into the restaurant a few days later. The owner wrote down his license plate number, sure that this was the key to cracking this case. Police tracked this man down and all the other people in the party, and the girl was not Selena. And of course, her mom's family was devastated. Cindy Cram told the Courier Post, quote, Last week, we were all so happy that she was positively identified and that she was alive. This week, we don't have a clue. End quote. Now, around the same time, she actually opened a P.O. box for Selena, requesting that anyone who knew anything anonymously send their tips to the P.O. box. Or even better, if Selena was out there, for her to send them a letter telling them that she was okay. She promised that she wouldn't give the information submitted through the P.O. box to police, and told the Courier Post that the family had money saved to support Selena that they would willingly hand over if someone else was taking care of her. 
Now, the police were actually supportive of this, saying that if this is the best way to find her, so be it. This is a confusing investigation. At this point, they hadn't searched any of the homes that Selena may be in or had lived in. Not the home on Crestview Drive, not any of the relatives' homes in Florida or Michigan. And Cindy Cram was frustrated. She was more than willing to open her home for a search. That way, everyone can kind of move on from this possibility and just find Selena. Meanwhile, at Crestview Drive, Tawana knew something about Selena's disappearance just wasn't adding up. She remembers going into Selena's room on the morning that she disappeared, and she only saw that her red puffer coat was gone. She left her purse, prenatal vitamins, and other belongings. It seemed to her that Selena didn't intend on being gone for very long. Now, she admits that at first she thought it was possible that Selena ran away, or that someone else in the church helped her escape, and she says that she couldn't blame Selena for taking that chance. But as the weeks passed, she became less and less sure, and increasingly alarmed because no one in the family was looking for her. They eventually stopped talking about Selena altogether. And even in her absence, Sarita had nothing kind to say about her niece. Eventually, Tawana was moved into Selena's bedroom, and she began going through her stuff, trying to piece together any answer she could. And that's when she found it. The diaper bag she bought from Goodwill. Tawana says that she knew if Selena had left willingly to have the baby, she would have taken it with her. Remember, Selena had next to nothing for this baby. She remembered that on the morning they discovered Selena wasn't in her room, Yvette seemed surprised but Sean anxiously bounced his leg, then just went to his room without saying anything else. She says she also began to dream about Selena, and in those dreams, Selena would tell her to get out of the house. In other dreams, Selena would tell her she was dead. Then Tawana hit her breaking point. One night in the summer of 1997, she remembers waking up to Sean holding his hand over her mouth, while Yvette pounded on the door, begging Tawana to wake up. Eventually, Yvette left, and Sean ducked out of the room. The next morning, Tawana left for good. She went right to the police and told them everything about Sean abusing her and Selena. The local media pretty much stopped talking about Selena when days and weeks passed with nothing new to report. Her case did receive some good national attention, though. It was featured on John Walsh's America's Most Wanted in the summer of 1997, and in September, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children mailed out 73 million postcards with Selena's picture on them. 2.9 million went just to New Jersey. The FBI also became involved, but still didn't turn up any credible leads. It really seemed that despite Tawana being so brave by coming forward with this information, it just fell on deaf ears. It would take someone else coming forward. Eventually, the parents of another young woman in the church came forward to report Sean for rape, and with their testimony and Tawana's combined, an arrest warrant for aggravated sexual assault was issued. Now, this was not officially connected to Selena's case in any way, but it obviously helped lend credibility to Selena's reports of being raped by Sean. On January 29, 1998, Sean Smith appeared in court for a child custody hearing for one of his now many children. He was promptly arrested on the sexual assault warrants. After this, he was interviewed again by the Willingboro Police and the FBI about Selena's case, 
but still denied any involvement. He posted a $50,000 bond and was released from jail. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, those sexual assault charges were later dismissed. In November 1998, nearly two years since Selena was last seen, the police and FBI used thermal technology to fly over the home on Crestview Drive and the church. They were looking for remains. They also used dogs to search the area, but came up with nothing. In May 1999, Selena's picture was printed on millions of grocery bags throughout New Jersey and Pennsylvania. This did generate some leads, but again, nothing came of them. There were also more sightings of Selena, and none turned out to be her. In 2006, her photo was put on trucks across New Jersey and Florida. Still nothing. Over time, it seems that CJ really did take a step back from the church, and he eventually moved back to Miami. In 2007, his health was failing, so detectives went to pay him a visit. And finally, after all this time, he says that he knew Sean was the father of Selena's baby, and he wished that he stood up to Sarita about it. But he did maintain that he didn't know what happened to Selena or where she could be. Now, although Sean's sexual assault charges were dropped, and he hasn't been charged with anything related to Selena, he didn't go without any trouble. On November 15th, 2012, he pled guilty to mail fraud in federal court. He had been working as an operations director for a warehouse for the nonprofit Closed for Kids, and admitted to defrauding the charity of over $100,000. In February 2013, he was sentenced to 18 months in federal prison, three years of supervised release, and he had to pay the victims over $117,000 in restitution. And unfortunately, that's basically where the case is today. Despite all these campaigns, billboards, grocery bags, posters, flyers, Selena remains missing. The current detective on her case, Monica Porgazelski, says that she thinks about Selena every day, that they followed up on every tip they've gotten. But now, many of these key players are deceased. CJ died in Miami in 2017. Sarita Smith died in 2018 and Sean Smith in 2020. But as I always say, there is always hope. Detective Porgazelski says that there are still people she wants to talk to, specifically a man named Keith Burns. He worked as a driver for the church in the 90s. She says that he's actually agreed to speak with them many times, and for whatever reason, it just never really works out. But as of 2022, they believed he was still out there and wanted to talk to him. This is such a tough case. Selena was surrounded by a community that seemed scared into talking. But as she's gotten older, Selena's little sister Norielle Mays has worked to come to terms with the truth about the environment she grew up in, and now realizes that a lot of what she heard about Selena growing up was just not as it seemed. She told ABC's Here and Now, quote, It really blows my mind, growing up and seeing how other families acted in other missing cases. They're out crying on TV and they're out putting up posters. I do know that my dad and a couple other family members, they did go on the news. They did go on a couple talk shows, but the family was divided. And the reason I really want to believe that my sister made it out, that she found a way to escape this madness, is that I don't want to believe that my family could be capable of killing one of their own. So I want to be as optimistic as possible. Whether it was a friend, whether it was a relative on her mom's side, 
saw what she was going through and just discreetly got her out. I just want her to be alive. I want her child to be alive. I don't want to believe that evil persists and dominates in this world in the way that it shows its face. End quote. While Tawana believes that Selena was killed by someone in the house, Noriel remains hopeful that Selena is out there. Detective Porkazowski also shared that she has the same hope, that maybe Selena's out there living under a different name. And she really hoped that with the deaths of Sean, Sarita, and CJ, someone would find the courage to bring new information to light. Noriel told Here and Now her message for Selena, quote, I would really like to stress that everyone who wronged you who hurt you, who hushed you up, is no longer alive. The church is no longer in existence, so you don't have the fear of retaliation. I just want to let you know, we both know the type of dad that we had, and he passed not knowing what happened to you, and it really weighed on him very heavily. So as, what am I? The second oldest daughter? Third oldest daughter? I feel the need to find closure for us, for him, for you and his spirit and just make sure that you're safe and you're sound. If you never want to have a relationship with me or the family, that is completely, completely understandable. But just knowing that you're alive, whether in this country or in another country, living your best life, and your child is warm and taken care of, that's the only thing I can hope and pray for. End quote. Which brings me right to our call to action. Please share Selena's picture and her story. And if you have any details about the disappearance of Selena Mays, please contact the Willingboro, New Jersey Police Department, the FBI, or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. The tiniest detail could break this case wide open. There is always hope. As a reminder... Selena Mays was reported missing in December 1996 from Willingboro Township in New Jersey. At the time of her disappearance, Selena was 12 years old and 9 months pregnant. Today, she would be 39 years old and her child would be 27. Selena was 5 foot tall and weighed approximately 120 pounds. She is biracial with brown eyes and long, dark, wavy brown hair. Again, Anyone with information about Selena Mays is asked to call the Willingboro Police at 609-877-3001 or the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST. But as always, thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney, and is a Voices for Justice media original. This episode contains writing and research by our reporter, Brooke Haynes. If you love what we do here, please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the show in your podcast player. It's an easy and free way to help us and help more people find these cases in need of justice.
Welcome to the Secret After Show. The dogs are in. And my goodness, this case. I mean, I try not to sound like I'm devastated in each episode, which is mostly how I really feel. Um, I couldn't hide it in this one, and I am not going to apologize for that. This is a heartbreaking case, but it needs attention, which is why we're here. We can't just shy away from the awful when there are kids like Selena out there that still need help. There are so many things I want to say about this case, um, and none of them will probably surprise you. Um, the blame and shape of rape and sexual assault was such a huge theme in this case. And of course, I just want to say that, like, if anybody's out there um, going through a similar situation, there is help. It's just, I mean, heartbreaking. Um, and not visiting the home struck such a chord with me. I have dreamed and am trying to finally get this in place, um, or at least propose this legislation, but I, I would love to have something like um, an Alyssa's Law, especially, obviously, like, I would have to narrow it down to where I am now before I can go more broad, but it, it's a simple idea, and uh, I don't know why it's not already in place. But basically, if a child is reported missing, I would love to see it mandated that an officer visit the home. That's it. Reported missing, they go visit the home that day. I think in this case, it would have made a huge difference. I know in my sister's case, it would have been all the difference. And I truly understand that police resources are lacking. I get it. I just talked to my local news about that here in Phoenix. You guys know I'm on the board of Season of Justice. We literally fund law enforcement. But I think that this is doable, and I don't think it's a lot to ask. Child goes missing. Officer goes out to the home the same day. That's it. I also want to say, um, of course, if Tawana, Noriel, if you're out there listening, all my love to you. I know what it's like to be inside of a situation and believing one thing, especially about your older sister, and growing up and realizing that you were lied to, that nothing about your life, or at least so much about your life, was not as it seemed. So I just hope you know that it's not your fault, and I send you all the love. Now on to what's been going on with me, what I'm reading, what I'm watching, um, which I, I gotta change this segment because I'm never telling you guys what I'm reading or watching because um, it's mostly podcast related and I don't want to give it away. Um, but I can tell you that, of course, it is still full steam ahead with media pressure. Um, for those of you in the VFJ Patreon, you know that um, you got a very special treat. I already posted episode one there, so if you cannot wait, you must hear episode one of Media Pressure because, of course, um, you guys, I'm the worst at this. You can go over there to Patreon. I even, There's even a free trial. You don't even have to pay anything. You can go over and listen to it right now. I also wanted to let you guys know that I will actually be in person in New Hampshire for the 20th year vigil. This is completely open to the public, so I wanted to invite you guys too. It is on Friday, February 9th from 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, you can find all that information on the Murray family social media channels. They tell you exactly where to go because it, it can be a little confusing. 
And on their flyer, they say, quote, For those who cannot attend, we ask that you please light a candle in honor of Mora at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, February 9th. And post a picture on your social media using hashtag MoraMurray during the virtual Unity Candlelight Vigil to help raise awareness, end quote. So if you're in the area, if you just want to help out Maura Murray's family, I would love to see you. And I have to do it. Please, please go follow Media Pressure in your favorite podcast player. It would help us out so much. And now on to our segment of hope. And today we have another Amber Alert success story. This comes right from People Magazine. The headline reads, Missing Girl, Five, Found Safe in Kentucky. Dad is arrested for murder of her mother. Um, so I don't want to say this little girl's name. I, I know it's already out there in the media. It just personally makes me feel icky, so I'm not going to. Um, but she was found less than 24 hours after this Amber Alert was issued. And this is, I want to give credit where credit is due, this is a story by Julia Moore, published on People.com. And I will read you a bit of this article. Again, I'm going to quote it, but I'm also removing her name. So it reads, quote, a five-year-old girl in Kentucky has been located after an Amber Alert was issued for her disappearance. Less than 24 hours after Kentucky State Police declared blank as missing, authorities confirmed in a post shared on X, formerly known as Twitter, Monday that she had been located safely. She was with her biological father, Byron Black, 42, who was arrested in connection with the death of her mother, Kelly Black, also 42. Um, and apparently this happened after police were called to conduct a wellness check. So again, just, uh, I mean, awful, awful about her mom. Fantastic that she was found. And again, it all comes back to these Amber Alerts being so amazing. And also somebody seeing something and saying something. Huge kudos to whoever called in that uh, welfare check. This is what it's all about but I'm going to keep it short but sweet this week and leave you with that. So thank you, I love you, and I'll talk to you next time.